Well, it took long enough, but it's made it. The watch says that the rain is coming. The weather says the rain is coming. The sky looks pretty ugly. Please be careful while you're driving out there in this after-school traffic. Hey, it's Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. So let's get to the breaking news first. And you heard it on Fox News, Florida magistrate judge who approved the warrant allowing the FBI to search Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. Uh, said in uh, a hearing today that the entirety of the underlying affidavit uh, can't yet be released without redactions, but suggested that certain portions of the document will eventually be unsealed. Now, from the beginning, I told you that they're not going to release the affidavit because the FBI is using what's in the affidavit to uh, construct their path toward whatever they're going to charge Donald Trump with, whatever the end result of this investigation is. So they don't want the whole thing out there. But this judge is basically saying, look, for the interest for uh, in, in the interest of public uh, transparency, you can't redact the whole thing. Now, I'm, and he's going to give them uh, a week to say what they want redacted. And then the judge will approve or disapprove that. There'll be an appeal. So we're not going to see the affidavit for a little while yet, but parts of it, it looks like, will be released to the public. So that is the breaking news of the moment. Now, I want to get into the news of the day, and I want to start national. We're going to work our way local because I have some thoughts on some local issues going on right now. But let's start. uh, Let's start with this very, very curious phrase. That was used by uh, the White House's national climate czar, Gina McCarthy. Uh, this was on CNN. A li- uh, this was on CNN yesterday afternoon. This clip. Uh, I-, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to what Gina McCarthy is saying here because the phrasing is uh, the phrasing is important here. Homes in your buildings. One of the I'm glad you brought up China, because one of the things that I think makes people feel particularly helpless and hopeless about all of this is that we can do, you know, we can compost our heart out. We can buy an electric car. We can individually do all these things. But China is the number one polluter. And if China isn't contributing to saving the earth, maybe all of these things around the margins aren't going to help. Well, Allison, we have to have every country step forward. We lost a lot of ground, a lot of credibility in the prior administration. Part of the the sort of enthusiasm and energy today is that I think we all know that this put us back on the map, that pushed the U.S. back in a leadership position. We will continue to negotiate with China and get them into the program. But frankly, we had to have something big. We had to take a big leap forward. This is the biggest piece of legislation that our country has ever advanced by 10 times as much in terms of reductions of any other law. But it frankly is being looked at internationally as perhaps the biggest and most significant step forward, not just in the United States, but in our international community. This is the the only way we are going to get China to the table is if we outcompete them and we out and we outsmart them. All right. <clears throat> the phrasing there. Gina McCarthy says big leap forward. 
big leap forward. In 1958, Chairman Mao Zedong was pushing a was pushing an economic initiative through China that would bring China to the modern era, that would finally get China on the map as an economic powerhouse. I want to read a little bit from the book China: A History by John Key. I want to I want you to understand. Uh, what this great leap forward that Mao was pushing actually entailed. This mass action formula was emulated up and down the country as millions marched forth to undertake Herculean construction projects with no more in the way of, of equipment than the barrows and baskets used by the builders of the Great Wall and the Grand Canal. Caution was thrown to the wind. Anything seemed possible in the climate of hysterical mass endeavor. Instead of grinding through the geared stages of growth laid down in the Marxist-Leninist manual, heavy industry first, then mechanization, collectivization, and eventually state ownership of all the means of production, Mao revved the engine and let, the, let fly the clutch. But already there were rumors of famine. The reports were suppressed, the observers silenced. Instead of an investigation, the communes were favored with a new wave of young urban ideologues intent on teaching the peasants how to grow corn, albeit larger, faster, better, and cheaper. Their innovations and naivete contributed to the impending disaster. Procurement quotas for the 1959 had been set at hopelessly realistic, unrealistic levels. Even without the drought of that year, the cold and the rains of the next and the inevitable Yellow River flood, the state's requisitions could, not, uh, could be met only at the expense of the communal kitchens. The meals there, meals became fewer, weeds replaced vegetables, and muddy water was passed off as soup. The severity of the famine varied from, the serious, from serious in the cities to acute in some provinces. Absolute in others. Talk of cannibalism and of grazers eating their own grass was dismissed as mischievous. The bountiful report still emanating from the local cadres belied it. So wheat continued to be exported while those who grew it grazed on grass. And so, in an age when roads and railways should have made relief a formality, nothing was done. Alleviating conditions meant admitting the disaster. But since the leadership and its policies were beyond criticism, those responsible must be incompetent or reactionary elements within the communes. In effect, whistleblowers were merely denounced, or had merely denounced themselves, Prudence dictated signing off on fictitious production numbers and keeping quiet. That is the great leap forward. The famine of 1958 to 1961 killed anywhere between 15 and 55 million Chinese residents. All under the great leap forward. And now the Biden administration, in pushing its climate agenda, in pushing the very policies of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, are now saying that under this bill, underneath these climate initiatives, America will be taking a big leap forward. And if you think that such a transition is impossible, you're just a naysayer. If you are out there complaining because gas prices are too high or because electric vehicles are too pricey, you're not doing enough to help the climate. 
Are you having problems at the pumps with the gas prices? Well, just go and get an electric vehicle and wait six months for a tax credit to come in. It doesn't matter if you're poor. Go out and buy an electric vehicle, one of the most expensive vehicles on the market. Go ahead and do it. You're not doing enough otherwise. There's a little bit of a parallel there. A big leap forward in the climate revolution being undertaken by the Biden administration is nothing more than attempting to convert an economy into something it is not prepared to be. And as a result, energy prices will continue to soar. The cost of electric vehicles certainly won't go down, but people who do go out and buy them will then be given tax credits. More money handed from the government will only exacerbate the inflation problems. We can't convert the populace to electric vehicles. Our power grids can't support it. There are so many issues with this mass transition, with this big leap forward, if you will, but the Biden administration doesn't care because by God, they're doing something. And if you're out there complaining, you just want the world to die. That's what they're saying in all this. The Biden administration has hopelessly fallen in love with the cult of climate change. And they are pushing this agenda that only goes to actually hurt the American economy. But by God, the sun will shine just a little bit brighter and the skies will be just a little bit clearer. Never mind that you still can't afford some of the stuff you need to get at the grocery store or the gas at the pump. 232-1542. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I want to transition to some state and local issues for the remainder of the show. Feel free to call in at that number. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk. 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. By the way, you can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, or you can email me, Joe at RedState.com. Had somebody reach out uh, during the break uh, with a very good point. You know, we talk about transitioning away from, from oil and gas and all that, and yeah, obviously, any plastic or rubber components of electric vehicles, uh, those those don't come from petroleum products, right? You know, uh, a lot of people in in the administration and among the left and the climate groups seem to forget that uh, the rubber for your tires comes from is petroleum based. The asphalt on the road is petroleum based. Uh, the plastics petroleum based. I mean, there there's so much that is petroleum-based, that if you start trying to wean yourself off of that, get, take yourself away from all that, you're going to cripple the economy even more than you think. But they don't care. They want the big, flashy thing. They want to give you tax credits for electric vehicles. I've been on this for a few days now. You don't get the tax credits immediately. Those come in later. So you've got to pay all the money up front and hope the government sends you a check. And remember, I mentioned this when they first... Uh, passed the bill out of the Senate, the, the the language of the bill excludes every electric vehicle on the market. The bureaucracy's got to come back and rewrite the rules, and you better hope they can do so without somebody suing them and it become another West Virginia versus EPA case again. 
because the Supreme Court just said these federal agencies can't just make up powers and rules. They can only do what is uh, granted to the, what the, the they have the power to do things that are granted to them by Congress only. That's it. They can't just go and arbitrarily change rules and make policies. So here's hoping that everything's on the up and up when they try to make it to where some of these tax credits actually do apply to uh, to electric vehicles. Because right now there's not a single electric vehicle on the market that the ta- that that you can get a tax credit for. And it all goes back to our dependency on China. There's a reason I brought in this Chinese. This is a very good book on Chinese history. Very straightforward, very neutral as a, a, a China, a history by John Key. So fun fact, um, I'm, I'm an audiobook person now, apparently. Uh, but I like to read history books. There is nothing, there is nothing that can put you to sleep faster than listening to the audiobook of a nonfiction history book. However, I've been powering my way through, coming to and from the station. If I'm not listening to Bongino, if I'm not listening to something that's on the air right now, I'm listening to this audiobook. Now, we got about 45 minutes left in the book. The problem is, an audiobook, Mark, you can see across, you can see how thick this book is. An audiobook for this book is 26 hours long. It took me a very long time to get to where I'm almost done with it. It's about three, four more commutes before I'm fully done with this book, and I move on to the next one, which I think is going to be uh, one of David McCullough's biographies. David McCullough, the, uh, the historian and, and author who, wrote, who has written some stellar biographies, including the John Adams biography that became the, uh, the HBO, was it HBO series, uh, John Adams. Uh, David McCullough was a fantastic biographer. His uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I think, is the next uh, uh, Mornings on Horseback. That's, that's the next book I'm going to be listening to the audio book of. And it's, it's McCullough's biography of Teddy Roosevelt. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, one of the he's one of the early progressive presidents, but also one of the most terrifying presidents. If there's ever a zombie apocalypse and Teddy Roosevelt comes back from the dead, I'm joining the zombies because I'm that terrified of the guy. Anyway, going back to the whole climate change deal, you know, we I, I've I, I feel like I've talked about climate change almost more than any other, almost more than education. I talk about education a lot, but. The climate issue, climate change, the climate issue, the cult of climate change. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth repeating again. The environmentalist movement is known as the watermelon movement because they're green on the outside, but red on the inside. The modern environmentalist movement actually has roots in Soviet agents starting activist groups here in America and the environmentalist movement was one of those groups because the way you can control pollutants and things that cause environmental change and, and, and all this, do it through industry. And if you cripple American industry, you save the planet. And crippling American industry has been the goal of the communists since the communist regimes took over in Europe and in Asia. And the environmentalist movement traces back to communist elements in the United States. 
But it's more than just communists in masks. This is this is a, a, a story of trying to fundamentally change not just the economy, but the actual society and culture of the United States. That's what the climate change movement is really largely about. They want a major social, economic, political change in the U.S. And yes, part of it is tied to Marxism and communism. Part of it is about seeking to switch to a command economy rather than a free economy. And they want a fundamental change so they can save the world from the evils of capitalism. 232-1542, let's take our bottom of the hour news break. And when we come back, we'll have uh, some talks about local and state issues. I promise we're getting to that. Have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation. So I'm hoping that all of you tuned in to uh, Acadiana's Morning News this morning and listened to Lafayette Live. It was Josh Guillory back for the first time since uh, he, he had come back from his stint in rehab. First time in several weeks he's been on. And uh, you can actually find, uh, you, you can find a story about it at kpel965.com. Uh, titled, Josh Guillory sits down with KPEL following release from rehab. And... I highly recommend that you go listen to the whole hour. You, you listen to that time on the air. There were a lot of comments that came in through the app chat um, questioning why Brandon and Bernie were asking a lot of the questions that they were. I mean, and, and the they were asking questions that largely came in through the app chat and email and everything like that. It's a... It's a segment devoted to people sending in their questions and Bernie and Brandon asking those questions of Lafayette uh, Mayor President uh, Josh Guillory. And they took a lot of heat in the comments for the questions they were asking. And it's important, and I have to say this, because it's a it's a pretty important issue to talk about. Bernie and Brandon did their jobs. the The point of Lafayette Live is to ask the questions that citizens send in. If citizens have questions or concerns about Josh Giller's performance, what he's doing, stuff like that, they have a right to ask those questions, and he has an expectation to deliver some sort of answer on it. I get that a lot of the questions really seemed unrelated to the job of parish president. However, a lot of those questions stem from stories from a local news outlet that are raising questions about side hustles by Josh Guillory. And you'll know that these stories that are out there are missing one key thing, and that's any evidence of impropriety. Those stories are written to ask questions of impropriety, which is a journalism trick for trying to get people to think that there is impropriety. 
this was not Brandon and Bernie making trying to make people think that there is. This is Brandon and Bernie directly asking, is there, based on those stories. Now, why do I bring this up? Today it was announced that CNN anchor Brian Stelter, his contract with CNN has been terminated, and the show Reliable Sources is being canceled. This Sunday is the last day, and that will affect about 36 viewers. Stelter has, for years, especially during the Trump era, has for years been doing this journalism trick of, well, I don't have any evidence of anything, but I'm going to ask the questions because me just asking the questions because I'm a journalist leads people to think that maybe I'm onto something and that there is some impropriety going on. And so there are journalists, there are activist journalists out there who do this sort of thing. They want to raise questions about something they think is shady, but they don't have any evidence that it's actually, actually shady. That's not good journalism. Good journalism is about going out, finding the evidence that there is something wrong going on, presenting that evidence, and actually holding of the authority to power. That's why the, the, the bumper music for this segment was the authority song by John Mellencamp. Because whether journalists know it or not, that's essentially the theme song of journalism. I fight authority and authority always wins because the authority is always going to be around. Journalists come and go. But you do it for the sake of holding authority to power, uh, holding, holding truth to power, going after authority when they do wrong. But if you don't have any evidence that they are doing wrong and you're asking the question, instead of presenting evidence that there is something going on, you are trying to turn the audience against that authority figure with no real basis. Yes, Josh Guillory and his wife have a side business that the wife manages and they've made it very clear, and there's no evidence that they do do any business with construction companies that have contracts with Lafayette Consolidated Government. And he's maintained that that has always been the case and always will be the case so long as he is the mayor president of Lafayette. There is no evidence to suggest otherwise. If there was, that would be a front-page story. That is actual corruption, and that would end his time as mayor-president. And if there is evidence of it out there, then I would absolutely applaud any news outlet for running with those stories. But when you are just raising questions, that's dishonest journalism. There is a reason that Brian Stelter at CNN is out. Because the just raising questions format of journalism isn't honest journalism. Brian Stelter has been a partisan hack and activist for as long as he's been on the air. And from the moment he took over reliable sources, his entire line of attack has been to just trash Fox News and ignore real media stories going on. 
because it's not about the journalism. It's about the enemy. This type of practice in journalism is incredibly toxic. And I'm somebody who loves journalism. I love local journalism. I like national journalism. I have friends in national journalism uh, outlets. I have people that I like and respect, people that I've talked to, big names in media that I have talked to and gotten to know. I disagree with the way they portray some of their stories, but I do like them and have had good conversations with them. I love local journalists. I was in local media. Right now I'm in I'm still in local media. More as a commentator than a journalist, but I will still do journalism when when the need arises. But this type of journalism, the just asking questions type of journalism does not actually do any real work in print. It is simply a means of getting other people to talk about it and force somebody to have to make a comment about it. And then that comment becomes the story. Well, look, this person is denying this when it wasn't really a story to begin with, but you've made it a story through your agenda. So yes, Josh Guillory has a construction uh, rental company, uh, construction equipment rental company. Yes, he teaches courses at UL. Yes, he's got these side hustles. Who in this day and age doesn't? But that's not a story. And I mean, it's an it's an interesting human interest piece. Like even the mayor president of Lafayette has side hustles. But it's not a could this potentially be scandalous story. It's not a just at it, it shouldn't be a just asking question story. It's neat, it's interesting, but you don't have any evidence of impropriety there. And you can certainly ask it. But you can't make it the whole basis of the story because there is nothing to that story. But people will make it the basis of a story solely so they can go back when this person comments on it and have more stories about it and keep it going, keep that headline going. It's dishonest. It is dishonest journalism. And it really, it really should, we really should do better in the journalism industry on this type of thing. We really should. But we won't. Because as, as the mayor president said this morning, as Guillory said this morning, um, a lot of news outlets are in the business of making money. That's a big driving factor. And of course, these, these headlines these headlines generate clicks. They generate, they generate ad revenue. And that's the point. But it really hurts journalism. And we should expect our journalists to do better. 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, the Bond Commission had another fight over abortion in the city of New Orleans. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5. KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to hop in here at the end of the show. Before we go today, um, the Louisiana Bond Commission is once again fighting over the abortion issue. So uh, members of the Bond Commission, I, I remember we had this story uh, several weeks back 
the Bond Commission met. Uh, Jeff Landry wasn't there, but a representative of his was. The Bond Commission was talking about um, a an application for credit uh, for a sewage system project in the city of New Orleans, and this was on the heels of New Orleans officials saying they would not enforce the state's new abortion law. So Jeff Landry has been on this tear saying, you know, if you're not going to follow state laws, you're not going to get state money. And there's been a fight back and forth on this. John Schroeder, I think, unwisely took a position against Landry's uh, statements and then voted uh, for Landry's motion anyway. Uh, But it's been deferred now twice. And... Let me just read uh, a little bit from this from this meeting. This was covered at, uh, I think, the advertiser. Yeah, the advertiser has part of the story, um, or it has the whole. This is this part of the story comes from the advertiser story. How do you believe? Uh, how do you believe you have the right to overtly defy the laws of the state? Landry said during Thursday's bond commission meeting. Paul Rainwater, a lobbyist representing the city and Mayor Latoya Cantrell, said the Bond Commission shouldn't be the venue for politics to derail an important infrastructure project related to abortion. Rather than holding up money for projects, there are other means of enforcement, Rainwater said. You're putting a lot of people at risk by holding up the project. Uh, Republican Senator Brett Allen also uh, questioned Landry on this. Uh, Said he thinks it's problematic to target uh, target that project for the positions of New Orleans officials. And he said, it seems to me that we're maybe shooting at the wrong target. Look, yes, this is a badly needed infrastructure project for the city of New Orleans. I get that. I'm not really interested in punishing the people of New Orleans for their leadership, except, of course, they elect their leadership. But anyway, But Landry has a point. If you're not going to adhere to state laws, you shouldn't assume that you automatically have the right to state money. And as the officials of the city of New Orleans have vowed that they would not uphold an abortion ban within the city, they are saying they're going to disobey state law. It hasn't happened yet. but it could very well happen soon. And Jeff Landry isn't just playing politics. This is a real issue. Now, does it come in an opportune time for him? Absolutely it does. This is a very opportune time politically for Jeff Landry because he can go into an issue again and say, look, there are people who are... Uh, trying to violate state law, but still get a hold of your taxpayer money. And they're doing so in support of abortion, which you Louisiana residents largely with a vast majority really, really dislike. It's a win-win for Landry. He gets to do the right thing and he gets to raise his own political stature by it. Now he can his, you know, can his political statute uh, statute get any higher? I don't know. Maybe he's already riding pretty high. He's the second most popular Republican in the state. The first being John Kennedy. I'm afraid I may fa- uh, offend somebody by saying that too much, but it's kind of the truth. Landry is by far the favorite to win a gubernatorial election if Kennedy doesn't run, which nobody expects Kennedy to. 
Landry has made it a point to fight for the Republican voters of Louisiana, for the voters of Louisiana in general, and for the issues he believes is right. And officials with the city of New Orleans have decided that the best thing they can do is try to stand athwart state law. Now, you may not agree with the state law, but if the roles were reversed, if the roles were reversed, you know that the people complaining about what Landry is doing, they'd be all for it. If the state of Louisiana had passed a law saying that all abortion is legal and the city of New Orleans said, or let's say, let's make it realistic. Let's say Lafayette said, you know what? We're not going to allow abortions in the city limits. And if you do it, we're going to arrest you. You know that the very people attacking Jeff Landry right now would turn around and say, you're violating state law. You need to be arrested. You don't get any state money, everything. They'd be doing whatever they can because abortion to them is sacrosanct. But because they are breaking the law in favor of abortion. Everybody thinks, well, you know what? Actually, this is uh, this is right and just, and Jeff Landry's being a bully. It's a double standard. And you know what? I would absolutely 100% call out the double standard if it was Republican doing it. Because that's, it's, it's pretty fair. It, it, it's, it's pretty fair what the conservatives on the bond commission are pushing for. It's very fair. It's very understandable. If you don't follow state law, you don't get state money. I'm not exactly sure how that's controversial, but I suppose I could be wrong. But Jeff Landry is right here. John Schroeder did not vote one way or the other. He didn't really say anything today. So that means he probably took enough of a beating from conservative allies in the background. Brett Allen, not sure what he's doing. But the city of New Orleans is very, very upset. But the city of New Orleans took this stance and they knew that there were going to be consequences. They had hoped they could get away with it because John Bill Edwards is one of theirs. But they, they knew that there would be consequences for it at some point. And this is it. You did this to yourself. City of New Orleans. Sorry. 23 hours until the next uh, uh, until the next Joe Cunningham show. In the meantime, like I said earlier, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham show. Email Joe at redstate.com and be sure to check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Love talking to you guys. We'll do it again tomorrow. And stick around. Offsides is next. And it is Pick Your Brain Thursday. We'll have lots of fun, me and Shannon, in on that right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.